0: The Brexit Breakdown Podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Hey. 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 Hello, and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, author, journalist, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. And on this podcast, I am joined by two top experts to help with that. From the UK in a changing Europe. It's a new face, new voice, I suppose. Hussein Kasim, Professor of Politics at the University of East Anglia. And there's some good chat about the global city of Norwich in this episode. And Hussein is also a senior fellow at the UK in a changing Europe. You can check him out, you can see him in the flesh. In the UK in a Changing Europe video, the experts. Check it out on the UK in a Changing Europe website. It is a treat. And we were joined by John Vincent, CEO of the International Federation of Airworthiness and all-round aviation expert. His career has included 11 years at ESA, the European Aviation Safety Agency. For aviation is our focus in this podcast. Now, stick with it. I'll be back at the end to give the details of how you can win one of the coveted Brexit breakdown mugs. So keep your ears peeled throughout this podcast because the question will relate to the chat. Um, But of course, uh, aviation speaks to many wider issues around Brexit. It's not just about planes. However, we started with the obvious question about planes. And if you're wondering why we're talking about November the 1st, I should point out we recorded this a few weeks ago, but given events since, it all still holds together and will do for a few months yet. Here we go. Are planes going to fall out of the sky on November the 1st, or whatever the first day after Brexit is?
1: No, no, no they won't. The, the, the whole business of aviation will become a lot more complex a lot more difficult, but planes won't fall out of the sky. There are contingency uh, measures in place, and provided they're enacted um, on the reciprocal basis that is foreseen, then planes won't fall out of the sky. It's important to say that the contingency measures are, measures are complex in themselves. They genuinely are complex. This is a complex industry. and People in the, in the sector have known for a long time what's coming, what's likely, what, um, what uh, Brexit will mean, and have been preparing for this. That's not to say there won't be delays, um, but planes won't fall out of the sky. There'll be basic connectivity, at least on a time-limited basis.
0: Why will there be delays? I mean, am I right in thinking there's some sort of deal already been agreed to sort of continue current arrangements? Whatever happens, is that right?
1: I wouldn't call it a deal because it's it's very definitely not a deal. It's not it's not it's not an agreement whereby one party sat aside across from the other and, and negotiated something. It's one where the EU has has essentially said, um, look, okay, well, um, we're going to offer basic connectivity, so we'll allow your your airlines to fly to, to into the EU. Into the EU twenty-seven, um, and we will um, we'll put into place all of these um, sort of air safety arrangements,
0: provided you do the same. Well, that, that's not really. That's just saying do the same. Exactly. So, <laughs> so, 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 <laughs>
1: so, but this is the point: it's not a deal, and it's um, it, it's you know, if, you, if you look very carefully through the um, documents of the text that have been released by both sides, um, it is really that that contingent.
0: Um, so, what's the ideal scenario, John? Um, to keep planes flying, to stop delays, what, what are we looking for? Are we looking for, you know, presumably no deal is worse than any deal on that basis? What do we call it if it's not... I mean, the government would call it a mini-deal. Um, it's basically the EU telling the UK what to do. I don't know what we call that, but um, if we've got that in place... Well, um,
2: the, the, if the, the withdrawal agreement of in some shape or form is agreed, then for a while, at least two years, it will be continuity. You know, the assumption is that, you know, UK will continue to play a part in the European regulatory system until there's a, a proper trade deal. Because remember, the, period, the withdrawal agreement is just a withdrawal agreement. It isn't, you know, the final solution. You know, even if we have no deal, they're still going to carry on negotiating um, at the moment. Um, all that's in place is contingency measures, and they're temporary contingency measures. So, if there's no deal, there'll be these temporary contingency measures. If there is a deal, there'll be continuity for at least two years. Will they sort out what the final arrangement will be? So,
0: is aviation actually uh, a model for Brexit, in that you put in, you know, everything just continues for a couple of years until we get something better? That sounds sounds like it sounds great.
1: Well, I think that I think that it's such a such a complex industry. Um, that they're, that they're you're run, operated by um, specialists with a, 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 um, an international system that's existed for for many decades. Um, people, um, you predicted, anticipated what would happen, knew what would ha- what had to happen. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's replicable in, in other places, in other in other sectors. And the other, the other point to make is that um, it really matters in aviation because um, there isn't um, a WTO default. That also really matters, and that's concentrated minds.
0: So. Is it actually a really good microcosm of Brexit in the sense that, uh, as you know, John, it's really, really complicated behind complicated the scenes?
2: Because you, you, you've got research, you've got design, manufacture, repair, overhaul, air traffic control, pilot's licenses. There are so many facets to the whole issue, even in one sector, aviation. And mm. each one of those facets is affected differently. So the complexity level is high. And in fact, really, there isn't a way of winning it because after a Brexit of some kind or another, European rules are still going to be very powerful in the world as a whole, mm. you know, much as yeah. the US rules, the FA rules, are very powerful in the world as a whole. So we'll find ourselves having to comply with these rules, even if we you know, choose to go in a slightly different direction.
0: Um, but like perhaps the broader Brexit case, or, or the, not to much the case, but the uh, impact of Brexit, me, man in the street, goes to the airport, gets on a plane, has no idea of all that complexity that's going on behind the scenes. Much like with other facets of Brexit, you don't—you know, man in the street doesn't know how his strawberries get on the, the shelf of, of Tesco's. You know, but there's sure. there's a huge amount of complexity going sure. on in the background, and planes make well come into yeah,
1: that. Yes, I mean that's uh, yeah. Obviously, that's the case, and, and a lot of um, what's what's really sort of interesting about about Brexit and, and whatever form it takes is. Is what it renders visible about the, the complexities mm, of the world that yeah. currently we don't we don't see, um, but um, there will be there are going to be fundamental changes whether we leave with a deal or not. I mean, um, and until a an, until and if a comprehensive air, air transport agreement is, is signed with the EU, um, I mean one of those, for example, is that airlines will no longer enjoy all of the freedoms that they currently enjoy within the EU. So you know, to give sort of tangible examples, um, you know Ryanair. Um, it, it's it's not a UK airline many people imagine that it is mm. it's an it's an Irish airline therefore
2: an EU airline it won't be able to operate with the same levels of freedom within the UK how this will how the passenger will see this is, is an interesting one mm. I think higher costs for example because you know all this is going to have to be paid for in some way or another um, you know some of the routes we have today will maybe disappear so you know the access to uh, certain routes may, well, may be more difficult, a lot more difficult. What we, routes we would, take... you,
0: would that be European routes or, or global routes? Well, where, say,
2: a British operator operates within Europe itself, it won't be able to do that anymore because they won't have that freedom.
0: Is, is aviation, is there something about, is this, maybe this is why you went into aviation, John, is it like a, uh, a metaphor for life? <laughs> in that, you know, all I'm saying, you know, we turn up at the airport and you get on the plane and you don't really understand the complexity. Let's face it, when yeah, most of us get on the plane, we, we don't really understand how the hell no, it well, takes I, off. I we just maybe, an- maybe, I'm, I haven't really but, thought this one through. Well, it's, it's pretty obvious, I think. Well, the it's...
2: reason, Well, let's look at the reason why we created organisations like EASA, European Aviation Safety Agency, in the first place. Mm. Um, you, you know, it's because you had duplication in the system. You know, if you have every state copying, doing the same thing, you have a lot of waste. You know, bureaucratic waste throughout mm. the whole system. You know, each state, sovereign state, doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, they're all looking at inspections. They're all certificating aircraft. They're all doing audits. And that's a huge burden and cost on the industry. So the idea of creating a European institution, you know, or an agency to, to fulfil those uh, tasks was to economies of scale. Let's work together. We're all doing the same thing. We all agree on the same rules. That's much better for the consumer. It's much better for the passenger, and it's it, well, it's free market thinking, really. You know, it opens up. It's but, but on, on that particular
1: point, also. I think that I think this is this is it's, it's a very interesting question, and um, you know, I'm, I'm 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 a man of a certain age, middle age, and I, remember, I I think you know, isn't it a shame that we've lost all of those public information films we used to have when I was growing up, which told us how the world worked, and um, you know, we imagine that we go online, we press a button. Um, whatever it is that we um, we order arrives the next day. There's some kind of magic about this. What we don't see is the materiality behind that. We don't see the sort of the, you know, the technology, the logistics that that, that mm. delivers that. We don't. We don't. We certainly are not aware of the supply chains and how those are organised. We don't know very much about the regulation. It's exactly the same in aviation. I mean, one of the one of the issues that um, that is very important and is distinctive is that. Um, the, the, the way in which international regulation works in, in, um, in air transport was set in 1944, effectively. Right. Okay? And it created a very um, complex system whereby, essentially, your commercial freedoms and rights of airlines to fly between countries were decided by two governments, their governments, effectively, in this highly restrictive system. What's distinctive about the EU is it's carved out this regional multilateral system where, where airlines can operate across the territories of all EU member states, that's really radical. Hmm. And it's given the EU leverage in that wider international system. So that's something very distinctive beyond all of the other things that, that we've been talking about that, that's, that's lost.
0: Um, and you talked about the, sort of the economic benefits of that, job, But is there a safety benefit as well? Because presumably oh, yeah, if you've the, got all these really different administrations doing the same yeah. thing, there are more bits to go wrong. Whereas if you've exactly. got one body... Yeah. Uh, that makes it safer
2: that it, does, it does make it safer because you have uniformity you know and, and, and common rules harmonization of those rules has an advantage because then you don 't have um, gaps and differences between states which which cause problems and have caused problems in the past. so that working together has a huge advantage uh, again it 's not always seen by people and it 's quite difficult to explain um, and in establishing that system, the uk has had a tremendous amount of influence over the years. Because, yeah. because we, you know, we have had one of the premier aviation authorities, and so we were able to influence the way that Europe developed in that sense. So, you know, we a lot of the rules that we're applying, European rules, actually have their origin in work that was done in this country.
1: And, and one of one of the really important observations, one of the ironies about about this this entire experience, um, certainly from, from my point of view, is that um, is that um, you know the UK has always been quite a liberal aviation player. It's always wanted a more liberal aviation system than, than the rather restrictionist aviation system it, um, had been historically in the post-war period. And it specifically looked to the EU to liberalise, to, to use you it know, as a sort of mechanism for you know, multilateralising those, those ambitions. One of the sort of interesting um, you know, elements of this story is that um, it was one of um, um, you know, Margaret Thatcher's most Eurosceptic ministers who set upon the idea of using the EU and specifically the competition laws of the of the EU to um, to liberalise aviation aviation in Europe? And so, you know, the UK. Model, who was that? Which one was that? It was Nicholas Ridley, right. who, of, of course, again, people of a particular age might remember that he was he, he was forced to resign after saying that the, the EU was a German racket. Um, yes. And that, um, but you know, he was the person who sent emissaries, the, um, the the most senior aviation officials in the Department of Transport at the time to Bonn, to Paris, to say, actually, you know, if we liberalise through the EU, planes aren't going to fall out of the sky, there all kinds of benefits to, to, um, to passengers. And uh, the UK really did pioneer that. One. Ah. So
2: there was a kind of international trend towards uh, liberalisation, and Europe was a mechanism by which that could be brought forward. And, and I think we have the low-cost operators we have today because of Europe.
0: So if we'd had the EU, Freddie Leaker might have succeeded.
2: Well, you would
1: have had to. I mean, there's one for the kids. There's one for the kids. Richard Richard Branson Branson copied his model and did it. Yeah, but I mean, it's slightly different because, of course, this this was a transatlantic model. He might have survived it within Europe.
0: Ah, okay, fair enough. So, because of the EU, and I appreciate, simplify this. We have the low-cost airlines that we do. So now we're leaving the EU. What's going to happen to? Ryanair and EasyJet and all the others?
2: Well, we know with EasyJet they now have, um, you know, they've divided their operations up. So they have an AOC, an Air Operator Certificate in Austria. Uh, I think they have one in Switzerland and they have one in the UK. So you've complicated the whole system, you know, for for that uh, particular airline, you know. They will be able to carry on operating, but their UK registered aircraft may be restricted in what they can do. Oh,
1: okay so that's, that's that's exactly the issue and and you've asked about the low-cost airlines and I think this is where most people sort of experience um, these these kind of issues but um, as somebody who lives in in Norwich and has an international airport that's served by KLM K mm. was very very smart in, mo- in moving into the UK moving you know, exploiting these opportunities moving into regional airports and essentially sort of channeling international traffic via Amsterdam um, you know a concern for, for people like me, where there isn't another airline that, that operates um, internationally in that, in that way from Norwich, um, is what will happen, and you know you could say the same for Exeter and yeah. and the other places in the uk that have these regional airports.
0: How does that play out? I mean, you know, presumably, oh no, you'll have to go to Stansted. That's not, or, or, because, I don't know, I'm thinking Stansted seems like a bigger airport than Norwich, so somehow they'll be able to better weather whatever's coming, whereas your Norwich, your Exeter, I mean, your think, Dundee, you, your you, Inverness are, are you going to be in a less be- good place. Is that can't, you how You can't underestimate
1: the, um, the, 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 um, the, the convenience of having a local international
0: airport, I, I would say. Where can you fly to from Norwich? everywhere in the world finally. shut up. everywhere fly, 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 in the, fly, fly, in the, fly, the world by skip, skip
2: Amsterdam. skip-off really? Fly, Amsterdam. Yeah. you just fly to skip you go, but then you've got to change go. you have yeah. to change so and basically you can only fly
0: possible. to Amsterdam from Norwich that's what you're saying <laughs> that's not strictly true I'm not saying that's a bad thing Amsterdam's a nice place no, so is Norwich that not, sounds it's, quite it's good it's
1: not strictly true but I mean yeah, the, yeah, the point is that, the, that it's not really only low-cost operators who will suffer from this Hi, Alan here. Sorry to butt in, but I just wanted to say, if you like this podcast, which I'm sure you do, then please rate it wherever you get your podcasts from. You'll be doing a public service because it makes it easier for others to find us. While you're at it, go to our website www.ukandeu.ac.uk and sign up for our fantastic newsletter. Not only the latest on Brexit, but the latest on the best football team in the world. Every two weeks, free, in
0: your inbox. Do it now. With the UK low-cost airlines being, you know, at the forefront of the low-cost market, with Britain being a big market for people flying around and all the rest it of it, is, yeah. Um, yeah. They're, You know, the EU's going to fold and they're going to have to mm. cut a deal with us and let us stay uh, involved, right?
1: As soon as the UK leaves, it becomes a competitor. It becomes a third
2: country, just as Turkey, maybe.
1: So so the interest of... of France, of Germany, are not to offer, offer access to UK airlines no matter how good or effective but the, you know, the incentive for them is to improve the opportunities for their own airlines
0: Yeah, but if- I went on holiday this year we'll come back to oh, my so holiday we'll come back yeah. to my holiday <laughs> yeah. the the guy? Guy? did you go by Amsterdam? <laughs> no I didn't uh, no I've been trying to go to Amsterdam but the trains don't go direct yet right. who knows what's going to happen there that's a whole different we'll get a train that expert on that one just come on to yeah. Montreal um, well absolutely well that's not in Europe unfortunately no, so, okay, although no, I, went Bru- I went via Brussels so. um, no I went to Croatia and there was easy jet flights going from Croatia to uh, Vienna or something sure. like this right oh, sure. and um, all those people still want to use it and oh, if sure. the EU says nah easy jet I've got to do one, and uh, all right. Maybe EasyJet aren't the well, best example because if you say EasyJet, all right, EasyJet are on it. You know. All right, it there won't
2: must be UK. Be. <laughs> you know all this. Um, it won't. You know if, if Brexit is about nationalism, actually, it's you know going the. It's going completely the other way because we're, we're actually giving stuff away. Um, that easyJet will be an Austrian easyJet. Yeah. All right, jet there must be or other, a Swiss other or must, a Swiss right. easyJet. All right, I'm trying to think
0: who are the other. I mean, a lot of low-cost airlines obviously have, have, have not, <laughs> not survived in recent years. True. But well, um, lost, uh, if know... the people of Europe want to fly cheaply around Europe on a British airline, then the EU's got to got fold. Why? It's like the it's like why? the German BMWs, isn't it? People thought BMW was a big deal and. You know that would be BMW would somehow be the German cars would be a big player in Europe in, in the Brexit negotiations, mm. and they're not. I think we can safely say okay. how big a deal is aviation in terms of Brexit, because I mean we talk about
2: mm.
0: uh, cars, uh, not, not even cars, trucks going through Dover Cali. I mean Dover Cali is a is a big deal in Brexit mm. because an awful lot of. It's not because not cause of the ferries and people going on boost cruises, obviously. It's because of trucks going through there. Mm. You know, I've no idea what, what comes into this country on a plane. Uh, you know, I'm talking about, we, we think of people with yeah, yeah. holidays and stuff. But obviously, there's a bit more to it than that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, just put some numbers on how big a deal aviation is. Well, it's, I mean, it's true that the UK has the largest aviation sector in, in,
1: in, in um, in the EU, they are going to fold. No, but that, but, it, but it has exactly the opposite, opposite effect in a tightly regulated sector, which is which has this mercantilist mentality. Okay, I mean, but even a, if purely because they're, you, know, you want to, you don't want to. Well, you, you take
2: um, Airbus wings being made in Chester, for example. Mm. You know, that um, at the moment it seems reasonably secure because you know there are large order book for Airbus aircraft. It's an integrated system within Europe. They will make it work. But when they're looking for the next investment decision for the next generation of aircraft, how well do you think we're going to be placed? I I don't think we're going to be well placed as a third country.
1: And this is the point that the CEO of Airbus made um, a couple of years ago, you know, that um, that, why should we invest in the UK? We can invest elsewhere in in the EU. Um,
0: How easy is it for... slightly jumping back here but you know we, we don't talk about euro uh, eurojet eurojet that's that's the airline that's i'm gonna a, set yeah, up i'm gonna, start start set, that, I'm gonna set that airline <laughs> yeah. up after brexit it's gonna be brilliant i'm gonna and i'm gonna base it in brussels it's no i mean that's my question hard, how yeah. easy is it for airlines to simply do what easyjet have done and say well actually now we're based in vienna well or, we're the, based wherever it's like
2: stoppiling else. you know in just in time manufacture it's costing them a fortune you know brexit is a very expensive and wasteful business because all this money is is what is, what is this money producing it's producing nothing
0: but in terms of the UK aviation industry, mm. uh, you know, how big is it? How important is it? How much freight, for example, comes by plane compared to other means? Well,
2: just, just about everything has a battery in it. And most of those batteries are shipped by air. So um, there's an enormous amount of electronic goods, you know, whoa, whoa, uh, that whoa, whoa, we whoa. depend on that are shipped by air. So
0: you're saying in the event of a no-deal Brexit, people won't be able to get their iPhone 11s for Christmas? No, no
2: no, 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 but they may cost more. You know, in terms it can't of the cost. It can't, an iPhone shipping. 11 can't cost any more in terms of the shipping costs associated with that kind of operation. Yeah. I, um, add that
0: to the exchange rate. Uh, it's not a problem. I, I, I mean, no. it's not a problem because obviously Santa brings the iPhone 11, so that or, he doesn't you, have to. He you, doesn't have to worry about these things. You but you know,
2: how strategically interesting is aerospace to the you know to Britain as a whole? And I'd say it was very very important indeed. I mean, on the military side and the civil side. You know, we have a very large industry. We have. Research, for example, research and development. We were getting more money out of Europe than we were actually putting in. You know, composites. You know, the aircraft now are made out of plastic; they're not made out of metal anymore. So, in in terms of composite technology, Mm. um, we're a world. The UK is a world leader, and if we want to maintain that world lead, we have to be playing with the big players, Uh, and uh, many of them are in Europe. Editing interval. It's an interesting question of language.
0: Obviously, I'm a journalist, so I like words. But there is an interesting one there. <laughs> you know, there has been a lot of language around the Irish border about certification. You get stuff, mm-hmm. certified. I mean, you are talking about certification. That sounds like you just print something off your printer, sure, you know. Sure. It does That's sound true. terribly easy, doesn't it? Is there, a, is there an issue with that, perhaps, with the language it's around not, it? But, but
1: it does sound terribly easy, it's true, but... In, 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 it's, it's not, it's obviously. Immense, it's, immensely com- it's immensely complex. Strongly credentialised, you know, you know, the fundamental concern in, in, in the, the sector is with,
2: with safety. Um, it it, very... It's one of the non-tariff barriers, really. Isn't it? The people who get to set standards, you know, are, do tend to dominate the marketplace afterwards. Uh, because by setting those standards, if you have institutions that people trust, you know, those standards are good, safe, aircraft are safe, um, then you tend to have a dominant position. Um, you know, the US has had that for, for, for many years, although, of course, they have a few problems at the moment with Boeing. Um, but you know, traditionally, they've been very good at setting standards and getting the world to adopt their standards. And, and Europe was doing the same, and Europe is doing the same, you know, getting very good at getting the world to adopt their standards because they proved to be good standards. So where is the UK as a third country, as a small player within this big picture, it's it's quite difficult to to make a living after that <laughs> well, no. because you're no longer really setting the international standards.
0: Um, not for you. Now, this is what I don't understand. Right, you've written in the last count, I think, 102 blogs. About Brexit, you—I haven't checked recently, so it might be more. Apologies if I've missed one or two uh, recent ones. Generally, regarding it as uh, well, not a good thing. Fair there, to say, there is an argument
2: for saying the UK is becoming more of a service-based economy, and, and we have a lot of expertise in these. Exactly, areas. you'll be laughing. So you're you're like the the biggest expert need, on airline safety and standards. You need still need access, and you need the ability to influence, and that often means sitting on committees where you have a vote, and if you don't have a vote fine but for you personally
0: you know surely you should be weighing up those hundred odd blogs versus one other blog which says I'm gonna be minted that I'm gonna be so in demand you'll be able to charge people you know,
2: millions of pounds per hour yeah, for your expertise, it would be amazing I, I don't think we're sitting here talking about what might be, to be so <laughs> Well, you yeah, know, well, it does come down to The greater good, Brexit we're, looking, we're looking at the greater good, aren't we I think, what is good for UK PLC and I think that's being a, an influential player within Europe I know there are some people who have a romantic idea that we return to the days of the 1950s and Handley Page and Avro and all the old manufacturers of the past are resurrected and we return to this glorious imperial Britain I'm well, afraid it's on, not realistic.
0: Just, I mean, you've been <laughs> no. around this sector for a while. I mean, I'm, it, I'm not that old, but I can remember yeah, the glamour yeah. of flying. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. And now it's a miserable experience. It's flipping awful. Yeah, i far available to get to every, the trade But it's fly. available to everyone. Ah, oh, but it's horrible. Can we, if we, post-Brexit, will we go back to some sort of, you know, well, we the reopened Croydon or Aerodrome? the jet you know? age
2: of the early 60s. Yes, it was available to a few. But now it's available to everyone access.
0: Ah, well, there's the problem. It? There's the problem.
2: Editing interval.
0: But you're asking a question
1: about certification. I mean, I think it's re- it is really worth um, you know sort of running this through. Um, you know, in, in aviation, you certificate every single part of a plane. Okay, and you don't just certificate its, its issuing, mm. right? You have to certificate its use and operation. Every mm.
2: airworthy part has to have a form one attached to it to say it's an airworthy part.
1: And then you have to certificate. Has to, to, to sign it. All of the people who um, who work in the institute, the people who maintain the um, uh, aircraft, the people who fly the aircraft, the people who work on board, all of them have to be certificated. It's just an enormous. It's an enormous task.
0: Yeah, and currently
1: um. that's pooled between. Twenty-eight members.
0: And it will remain pooled by twenty-seven, and we'll have to replicate yes. the whole shebang ourselves. Yes, and this else. is exactly what the, the former. Well, unless some agreement is ah, right, you know, okay. arrived at.
2: At the moment, um, you know, there is no formal negotiations between UKCA and EASA, because the politicians are keeping them apart. So, in fact, a lot of the detail work is still yet to be done. Now, if there's mm. a if there's a withdrawal agreement, there'll be plenty of time to do that detailed work. If so, there's no agreement, then I'm afraid. Phew, all bets are off.
0: What are the chances that deals, mini deals, or instructions handed out by Brussels—however you want to phrase it—what are the chances that some sort of agreement will be found, and I will not notice any difference
2: to well, the, my flying the chance, experience?
1: The chances of that are very, very limited because okay. you—you you, will—you will notice. I mean, obviously, it, it, it depends on, uh, to, what it, you know, to what outcome there there is, but sure. you will—you will notice that. Um, that, that you know, that um you won't be able to fly quite as many places as you were before. That's what that's what you'll notice. Disruptions. We just we just don't know. Um, I wouldn't say it's sort of you know. I mean, you didn't say diktat but I wouldn't say diktat on part of the EU. The said, look, if this happens, this is what we'll do. Um, yeah, here are our contingency plans. Let's get let's get ready for this. But we will only do this if the
2: UK reciprocates. I mean, that's how it that's how it stands um although you know i've made a fairly negative case so <coughs> far, there may be new opportunities that arise for example you know with uh, countries like singapore for example or you know even with the emirates uh, you know there may be new routes that o- and opportunities that open up um but whether these are going to offer the you know the average traveling public you know the same facility as they have today or the, the things that they want um yeah, Asia, and, Asia that, that, that's, that,
0: that, yeah, this is a potential growth area for UK aviation. Which is a bad thing. We've mentioned the environment in passing. Yep. But hang yeah. on, long-haul yeah, yeah, flights are like the, the worst thing for the planet, it's, it's, right? Um, I mean, flights in general. So if they, people can't fly so often because it's more expensive or there's fewer routes, brilliant really mm. planet, planet <laughs> benefits. There is a Brexit benefit.
2: Yes. Well, we could all um, turn off our heating in the winter. We could all uh, leave our car at home, or at least scrap our car. We could um, all—there are several, many things we could do to actually make our lives quite unpleasant. You know, Uh, environmental mitigation shouldn't be about the hair shirt, but it should be about solving the real problem. Uh, And and the real problem, I think, is uh, Europe. Well, that's why Europe is putting so much money into into research and development and innovation because some of the solutions, not all of the solutions, but some of them will come through technology. Electrification, for example, a lot of uh, consortia, industry consortia, are now working on electric aircraft. Initially, just for general aviation, small aircraft, you know, battery-powered, no environmental footprint at all, really. Um, Now, some of that technology will find its way into larger aircraft. So you may have um, significantly uh, more environmentally friendly aircraft in the future. The industry knows it's compelled to go in that particular direction. The pressure is so strong, um, and to make that work, European, you know, UK manufacturers have to be part really of consortia, uh, larger industry bodies, um, and and that's where Europe is, is important to us. As working together, we can produce world-beating products.
0: Okay. Um... Hopefully a yes, or, possibly a yes or no question. Uh, it depends whether it is a yes or no. Uh, did Thomas Cook go bust because of Brexit? Well, um, they're no, not was, well. I did not say well. Uh, <laughs> partly. Okay, fair enough. So yeah, so yes then.
2: I, I well, th- I'd say it was a contributing factor.
0: Yeah, I'd
1: say it was contributing factor. I mean, partly because of the um, the exchange rate dip. I mean, that that was, a real, that was a real. that's a real problem.
0: Let's finish with the feature that we do always have, which is uh, in the unlikely event this podcast has been insufficiently enlightening. In the unlikely event this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently, how to understand Brexit? Uh, a very long list now, and yet people keep adding interesting things to it. It's amazing. Mm. You're new to the podcasts. Just saying, what uh, you got for your uh, first uh, recommendation?
1: um I'm, I'm i'm going to be very boring and recommend the uk in a changing europe it's no deal the latest no deal version because i think that was um, exceptionally good particularly on the
0: backstop. Um it really sort of set out and laid laid out what um what needed to what needs to be understood i don't think that's been recommended because we did an entire podcast specially about that uh, nobody actually recommended it so uh, you, yeah. you you got oh, round you first. got under the got under the fence there yeah you've uh, you've done well there yeah. but uh, next time I want, I want a Star Wars a property, film or something. A, a uh, film. No, it is a very good report, absolutely. I mean, yeah. um, you know, as we discussed in the podcast, it's a shame that nobody in power seems to be reading it, yeah. or at least taking it on yeah. board. Um, <laughs> John, what would you recommend to understand Brexit? <laughs> of, uh, the
2: original House of Guards.
0: Good one. <laughs> that is a, that is a good recommendation yeah, uh, you know
2: watch it again uh, it'll tell yeah. you an awful lot about how Westminster works <laughs> and
0: how we are where we are now yeah well, I, I, if, 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 if
1: I, I would I would also um, suggest to get an insight into a certain mindset you should read our island story Ooh. I did that for the first time in 2016 and it was a remarkable revelation. What is that? Who's that? So this is this is a book written at the beginning of the, the early 20th century that David Cameron recommended, and others have said is their favourite book, and it's about, it's a story of um, Britain as, as sort of imagined imperial power. Mm. And um, I'll say no more about it, but it is really worth reading.
0: So... There was John Vincent and Hussein Kasim, and what was a fun conversation about planes and that. Uh, There was quite a lot of silliness that I had to cut out, frankly. Uh, Entirely at my end, I should point out. Um, I think John and uh, Hussein were quite surprised at how little I understand about aviation. But, listener, I don't think that makes me unusual. I am your voice putting the simple, some might say stupid, questions to people who know lots and I, for one, am pleased to know planes will still fly on November the 1st or February the 1st or whenever, whatever happens. If you have questions you want answered, get in touch. You'll get UK and Changing Europe at uh, UK and EU at kcl.ac.uk on the email or at UK and EU on Twitter. I'm at Political Yeti on Twitter Or my website is james-miller.com where you'll find the ever-growing list of recommendations. And the first person who gets in touch via any of those methods with the name of the airline I said I'm going to set up post-Brexit, it was in the podcast, wins a limited edition Brexit Breakdown mug. I know, what a prize. I look forward to hearing from you with your answers. The music today has again been Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra. And this has been the Brexit Breakdown podcast from the UK in a changing Europe, supported by King's College London and funded and supported by the Economic and Social Research Council. Come back very soon for another episode. For now, thank you and goodbye.